we're just really thrilled to have a, a wonderful man of God, and I know he probably doesn't want me to say he's a wonderful man of God, but he is, and so I can say that. I've got the microphone, so I can say it. And uh, uh, so uh, he is the, uh, as you know, he's the chaplain and character coach of the New England Patriots, and, and I want to invite him to come and join me right now. Now, uh, the first time we, we had you last year, uh, the reason we had you, of course, is because of your connection with the New England Patriots. And we're, how many New England Patriots fans do we have out there? <laughs> Talk a lot. Uh, but that's not why we had you back second time, because mm. you, you wouldn't get invited back mm. second time because of that. <laughs> we found out you're a, you're a foot stomping, devil chasing, sin hating, Jesus loving preacher, man. <laughs> and they, you're going to be, this guy can bring the word. Uh, God's anointed him to do that. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, before I ask you about your foundation, and we're going, to, we're going to be receiving an offering in a few minutes for the Greatest Champion Foundation, but uh, just tell us a little bit, what, what's a day at work for Jack Easter be like? Well, first of all, how about your pastor, huh? huh? Um, it, it's a blessing to be here, um, but most importantly, it's a blessing to have the friendship that we've created because of who Amen. Jesus is, and so I'm thankful for you. Um, We've kept touch since last year. As a matter of fact, uh, Phil Tim sent me a text message about three days ago. said they're starting a new recovery class for Jets fans. <laughs> so right out back today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, I think that my goal, Phil, is to be a servant. And so the Lord has called all of us in here, no matter where you are, to be a servant. And so uh, the Lord's called me to athletics. And so, in particularly, uh, the last six years in Foxborough, and so our goal is to serve. And so that looks differently every day. I, I don't think there's necessarily a one day that this looks the same. We do Bible study every week for the guys. Uh, we do a Bible study for our staff every week where we're going through some sort of curriculum that hopefully helps them uh, come to know Christ, to see Jesus for who he is, to, to be intimate with Scripture, um, provides community for them to have a fun, hopefully, outlet for the daily challenges that they go through. Um, and so there's no one day that's specifically the same, um, but my main mindset is to be a missionary to the building in any way I can, whether that's leaving a note for a guy, sending messages to a guy, or just serving them for where they are. Um, we do a lot of marital counseling, premarital counseling, encouragement to the whole building to try to make Jesus known as best we can. Is it, is it common for NFL teams to have someone in your position? Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously with the um, pressure of the the industry, and then also the fact that we play on Sundays. Uh, most teams have a guy. Uh, depends on you know the region and the background of the coach and some of those things. And obviously, the owner is is different everywhere, so it's not necessarily a regimented position. But um, the Lord's uh, raised up people throughout the country to do this and do it well, and it's been awesome to see. And obviously, colleges, many colleges have taken this same sort of position and used it for the development of their student athletes and maybe even uh, their coaches. And so it's been a blessing. Uh, to see that evolve. It's not necessarily like this everywhere um, in other uh, franchises, but uh, definitely we're blessed uh, the Patriots to have the best opportunity to serve. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's just, uh, uh, as we know, sports are something that binds us together in a region, mm. as a tribal experience. Mm. Mm. And so for, uh, for you to be, have this missionary platform, really, because I, I just love New England. I just love what uh, I feel called here. I'm from another part of the country as you are. You're from South Carolina. You can't, you can't tell with my accent that I'm from here. <laughs> I was just thinking, I finally met somebody without an accent. <laughs> so uh, I, I, just, uh, I just am thankful to God that you're in this position because I think it provides a platform mm. for people to hear from God in mm -hmm. a region that really, really is hungry. Mm. And so I'm glad that that's there. And I see many of the players and Twitter and other places uh, tweeting out scripture and mm. talking about God. I'm sure you have an influence in their lives. And we're, we're praying for you all the time. Don't forget to pray for Jack and what he's doing. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal, not because it's, uh, not because it's a sports team, 
but because of the opportunity and also because of where it is in these young men's lives, mm -hmm. right? They're mm -hmm. just coming out of college, kind of their first job, you yeah. know, so right. it's a big deal. Uh, tell us a little bit, of, tell us about your foundation, mm -hmm. uh, what it does and uh, how that's a big part of your life. Mm. Uh, well, in 2011, we established a foundation called the Greatest Champion Foundation, and the premise of this foundation was really threefold. The first was curriculums for college coaches, pro coaches, any kind of coach, really, who wants a curriculum to try to lead his uh, group of people towards the cross. And so um, Bible studies, things like that, that we have a database, and so silently through relationships, We've been able to, around the country, provide curriculums for chaplains who may have not gone to seminary. Uh, maybe it's a coach who's also serving as a chaplain. And so we've provided curriculums that include uh, emotional intelligence evaluations, that include encouragement uh, manuals and, and posters that they can use to encourage their people. And sometimes at different levels of athletics where they may not have a chaplain there, uh, can get the gospel into these curriculums uh, and into these offices. Secondly, we have an orphan scholarship fund, which is really cool. So we have one, once a year, uh, we have an athlete who has lost his parents or her parents, and they apply uh, through our board, and they actually receive a full scholarship to go to the, uh, the um, college of their choice. And so whether that's someone who uh, has lost their parents while they've been playing sports or maybe someone who growing up was in an orphanage, uh, we believe the Lord has called us to minister to widows and orphans. And so we uh, provide a full scholarship every year for that. And then the third one's been cool. We've raised up people. And so the Lord has given us an opportunity over the last five years to have a um, somewhat of a uh, mechanism of growth, kind of almost like a hub of training ground for chaplains and for spiritual leaders all over the country. And so we've got five guys every year that come into our foundation we train them in a way to teach the gospel, to grow. We do uh, some seminary classes with RTS uh, Seminary in Charlotte, and then we actually send them out. So this year we have uh, the Detroit Lions uh, just hired a, a chaplain that is actually coming from our database um, down in South Carolina. And so it's been a huge blessing to see it. Uh, just kind of an incubator for spiritual growth and an opportunity there to grow. So curriculum, orphan scholarship, and then this incubator, hopefully, of spiritual growth. Well, we really don't want to be seen the goal is to go and make disciples of all nations and just kind of be a backdrop of what we're doing. Well, that's awesome. Let's give that a hand. That's great mission. Well, we're going we're gonna to receive an offering right now from the Greatest Champion Foundation, and I'll bring you back up, and you'll come back up in a few minutes to give us the word, and we're really excited about it. I know it's going to be awesome. Thank God you. bless your name. Thank you so much. Let's give another hand for the band. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Let me pray for us. Father, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and your faithfulness, <clears throat> you thought it would be a good idea before the foundation of the world that we would be here today, so we are. Father, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. You are my rock and my redeemer. The best things ever happened in this world is Jesus. My prayer is that you might come to the forefront today and they might miss me and see him. Lord, thank you for your Bible, the best book ever written, a love letter to all of us. I pray that the words of it might come out and might interest us in our love relationship with the greatest champion. Father, today use this and use me. We pray in the only name we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Been traveling recently. Uh, been uh, doing a couple different things around the country. Had some opportunities to speak and share. And uh, a couple funny stories happened to me uh, that I feel are a segue for what we're going to talk about today. Was in Arizona. Um, got a chance to share uh, briefly with a, a baseball team there. And as I was going through the uh, uh, facilities, they were showing different things around. And we walked up to a morning exercise that was going on between uh, the batters and the pitchers, and they were doing a bunning exercise. And so the goal here was to control the bat, to control the ball, and to get the bunt down and lay it down and then run to first. Those of you who are not familiar with baseball, just roll with me for a second here. I'll catch you up. So this, this bunning 
uh, exercise went on and the guy who was leading this drill turned to me and said, look, this is a very controlled drill. He says, the pitcher is one of our best controlled pitchers and he throws it right where they can hit it and then the batter controls the bat. And so the batter controls the bat to lay it down and give this bunt so he can get to first base and move the bases around and move the people on the bases around. And he says, and so we have the whole infield under control. And so it's a very controlled drill, a very controlled circumstance. It's a very controlled thing. So we watched a couple of people do it and we began to walk off to the next thing we were going to watch. And I looked back and as I looked back, the pitcher who was pitching had hit the batter in the shoulder. He then proceeded to fall and sling the bat and hit the guy on the on deck circle. And as he began to hit the bat and the bat hit him in the knee, I looked back and I had three guys on the ground. The trainer was coming back and the pitcher was apologizing and the whole place was on the ground right by home plate. And I said, hmm, looks like it's in control to me. Amen. Got on the plane coming back from there. And um, I, as I walk on, you know, sometimes you ask for a water. So I asked this um, uh, stewardess, this, this um, helper, she said, uh, I said, can I have a water? She said, absolutely. And so the flight attendant and the pilot were talking in the galley. And so they were talking, and as I asked for the water, the, 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 the pilot, in this case a female, says, well, if you want anything done, this flight attendant, she's in control. And I said, okay, great. So I got my bottle of water, and, and she says, matter of fact, I'm thinking about letting her fly the plane on the way down to Charlotte where we were going. I said, okay, I might need two bottles of water. Amen. I thought to myself, but then they began to talk about control. And she said, well, I'd really like you to be in control of the plane so I can go back in and sleep. And the other girl said, well, no, I think that you're better suited because you know how to control the plane. Well, then I'm sitting and I watched the pilot about an hour into the flight, get out and go to the bathroom, right? So then my mind is thinking, well, who's flying the plane now? Amen, right? So I'm thinking to myself, who's really in control? Then I had a chance to go share Jesus with a football team. And I walk up, and as I walk up, I meet with the head coach, and we talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about that day. And he says, hey, I'll be in front of the team meeting, and we'll get it going, and, and I'll just be in control of the room. And as I get in control, I'll let you come up, and then we'll share and we'll talk about Jesus. And I said, great. I walked out of the meeting and the, the coach's assistant said to me, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I've really got control over everything we're doing here. So when you come sit, you'll just sit right in front and then I'll control it. You look at me and that'll be when you go up. And I said, great. And he said, hey, do you want anything to eat? And he passed me off to this other guy. And this other guy said, hey, if you want anything done around here, you got to get to this guy because this guy here, he's really in control. And I said, okay, great. So I went over to that guy and I said, hey, man, I'd love a little bottle of water. You have something? He said, yeah, that's great. And then this guy turned to me. He said, well, I'll tell you what, the equipment manager, he's the one who's got all the bottled water. And I'll tell you what, if you want something, he's really in. And I thought to myself, wow. Isn't that just a little bit of a microcosm of life? That life seems to be so much about battling for and duplicating control. You see, it's control of the House of Representatives, right? Control of the media, control of messaging, control of authority. Control of so many things seems to govern our lives. And if we're honest, from week to week, some of us sit in our chairs and say, am I really even in control. And if we're honest, if we walk in here, no matter where you came from today, there is a battle, a mind battle for control, being in control, having control, duplicating control, assessing control, and the environments we're in, we all look to see, are they in the under control? And so when we watch the news or when we watch maybe some other form of media, sometimes our hearts can be troubled as if what is in control? What's happening here? What's going on? And sometimes anxiety hits us as if we say, man, this is lost control. And sometimes in this game called life, we battle because it really does come down to who is in control. One challenge today, very simple, and we'll get into God's word. Who have you let be in control? Who has control of your life? Does the person, thing, or uh, object have a resume that would demand for them to be in control? Does, does their resume substantiate or, or, or qualify 
for them to be leading your life and ruling your decisions and governing your thoughts? Does it have a body of work that is justified for you to hand the keys over of your life? My challenge is, my friends, that nothing, no nothing, except for Jesus Christ himself, has the authority, the power, and the resume to be in control. So my challenge to you today, before we get into God's Word, is real simply, is we're going to watch Jesus in one of the most pressured moments of his life be so in control. And my prayer is that he'll earn the authority. You'll look at this and you'll go, man, look at what he did there. And as a result, maybe he can do the same in our life. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them. John chapter 18. I think we're going to have some of it on the screen, but if not, I'm going to go through and read it for you. And I want to explain some things about John 18 for you to understand some context because my belief is that God's word never comes back void. Let me give you a couple fun things that we'll talk about for the Bible real quick. The Bible is a 66 book love letter from God to you. In it is everything you need for life. And if you read it, it will change who you are. Listen to me. The Bible is a 66 book love letter from God to you. If you read it, it will change your life. My challenge is that the Bible comes alive to you. In the Bible, there's two testaments, an old and a new. And in the New Testament, there are four gospels. It means good news, stories, biographies, if you will, of Jesus. I always say to people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John went to bed with a Patriots hat on. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty funny. That's actually a regional joke. You can use that wherever you go. Um, that's funny. But anyway, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of Jesus totally different, but they're all the same in the thematic uh, idea that Jesus is Lord and that he's come here to do something awesome and to do something great. And the reason why John as a gospel is so awesome to me and has really revolutionized my life is because if you look at the other gospels and the reasons for their writing, and then you look at John, you begin to see Jesus in control and how important it is that Jesus is in control of you. Mark is the first gospel written, and Mark's job, or Mark's mindset, is to give you an action narrative of everything that happens in Jesus' life. Mark is, if you will, the brief gospel. He's the shortest gospel. His, his gospel is almost like you put a body cam on Peter, the apostle, and you went from story to story to story, and you watched as Jesus' life unfold. Mark's favorite word is immediately, because he goes from immediately to immediately to immediately, because he wants to unfold the story of Jesus very quickly, and succinctly to get it on paper so others can begin to understand. Matthew's Jewish. He grows up in an Old Testament family, a traditional Jewish family. And so his thought is that Jesus didn't just show up on the scene, right? That Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And there's a kingdom being built here. And this kingdom includes things that are things that are seen and things that are unseen. And so he includes this phrase, the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a, the kingdom of God is like a, the kingdom of God is like a. And so you read and you feel the momentum of Jesus teaching about a kingdom that we should all want to be a part of. Then we have Luke, right? Luke, I am your father. But he is, he is his father. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, but watch this. So Luke is a physician. Luke's mindset is lost people. He sees sick people all day who've been shut out and turned their back on by society. And they line up to get help from him as a physician. And Luke's mindset is, man, Jesus didn't come to seek and save everybody who has it together. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And praise God for Luke, because there's many times I'm opening my Bible and I say, praise God that I don't have to get clean so that Jesus loves me. But yet he got messy so that I could be clean. And so the power of Luke is that God came to find you in your mess. Even when you're running from him, he just ran faster. Then we get to John. Now, this is awesome right here. John is written much later. Now, John is one of Jesus' three roll dogs, okay? That's a Hebrew phrase. Uh, some of y'all got that joke. but If not, you'll laugh later, like 2 o'clock this afternoon in between naps. Like, oh, roll dogs. Jesus' three closest friends are Peter, James, and John. They, they, they walk with him. They talk with him. They have an ambassadorship of the inside track of Jesus, right? And so, in, in a matter of fact, in, in Garden of Gethsemane, they're asked to pray. Hey, come with me a little further because Jesus trusts them. He's really in the inner circle of these guys. And so they're close. So John, watch this. John writes a gospel a little bit later after some of the, the ministry of Jesus has been relegated. Now, this is very important because the ministry of Jesus has been relegated. And basically what happens is it's like, well, Jesus is the same as Apollos or Jesus is the same as Zeus or Jesus is the same as. 
in our, in our day, Muhammad. Or Jesus is just the same as Achilles. Jesus is just the same as fill in the blank. And they've relegated Jesus. So, so John, as a best friend of one of the greatest humans to ever walk, who was God in flesh, gets a little bit, excuse my phrase here, pissed off about this. And he gets his pencil out and says, you will not regulate or relegate my Jesus. And he writes a letter that is about power and authority. And I just, I, I give this analogy because I deal in sports a lot. And I always say to people like, if somebody was to relegate your favorite player, right? If they were to say something about, let's just say, hmm, your favorite quarterback. <laughs> Hypothetically, amen. I don't know, I know y'all don't do that. But I'm just saying, like, say they said something about your favorite team, right? Something goes off in you, right? Something goes off in you as a person. You're like, no, he's not. He's better than him. I got stats to prove it, right? And you reach in your pocket and you grab stats and you say, he's better than him. He's better than him, right? Because you want to prove that he's greater. That's John's heart. You're not going to relegate my Jesus. He came here and he's filled with power and authority. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gardener. I am the door. I am. And he gives Jesus the authority, watch this, so that he can have the power and the dominion that you can garner so that he's not relegated to all the rest of the religious lists. He is now God on earth who came to do something about this thing called sin. And John is writing with his pen. And I can imagine John breaking his pencil, writing, saying, not my Jesus, you will not relegate him. And I'll say to you before we even read the first verse today, if you're a Christian in here and people are relegating your Jesus, it should bother you. It should bother you. Because the power of Jesus is not limited to a fairy book story that we put in the same thing as all these other stories. Jesus is different. Jesus is unique. He is God made flesh. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. And so we read this, this letter of John, not superior to the other letters, but with the mindset that he wants to show you Jesus is in control. This is not an oopsie. This isn't, I hope this works out. This isn't a fairy tale narrative. This is God coming to do something about all the pain that you have. Because I don't know where you came from today, but here's what I'll say. I could guarantee all of us have some sort of pain, infirmity, challenge, mental block, sin that we're dealing with. And what Jesus wants to say today is I'll deal with it. I'm not scared of it. I don't flinch at it. And it doesn't bother me like it bothers you because I went to Calvary and did something about it. So here's what I want to do. I want to watch Jesus right here as he comes face to face with being uh, arrested. And I want you to understand that when he's coming face to face, it is also symbolic for when he comes face to face with your biggest problem. And I want you to watch how intentional he is. And now he earns the opportunity or the resume, if you will, to be in control of your life. My prayer is you would leave here today and you would say, yes, sir, Jesus has the authority. Yes, sir, Jesus has the resume. Yes, sir, Jesus has the mindset and the intentionality to make sure that he's in control of my life. Now, let's have some fun with the Bible, the best book ever written. John 18, let's start at verse 1. And I'm going to give you a few things that I think show that Jesus should be in control. Verse 1, chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. There was a garden, by the way, we don't have in this text that it was Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, I always laugh at people. I think every word in the Bible matters, right? So there was a garden and we know that the, the garden was Gethsemane from other gospel writers and Gethsemane means place of oil press. It literally means that there was oil pressed from the Mount of Olives to make oil. And it isn't interesting that Jesus would surrender himself in a place that had oil, and oil would be the subject, watch this, or the, the substance that would be put on the head of a king. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would surrender himself at the place called oil press, where pressed oils are pressed to produce oil, and oil is the substance that was put on the head of someone who says, you're the king. Very interesting. No, no comma, no detail is too, too small. There was a garden there and the Jesus and his disciples entered. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew that place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Jesus, Judas, having procured a, brand, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. I love that phrase. Knowing all that would happen to him. 
came forward and said, whom do you seek? The first reason that you can trust Jesus to be in control of your life is that he is intentional. You see, most things that we serve in life happen to us. Most things that we watch in life are third parties. But Jesus is intentional. And I want you to see here as this story begins to unfold that Jesus has set this in motion. Remember, this doesn't come to him. He has set this all in motion. Let's go back a couple hours from where this story finds us, right? How does Judas leave the table, right? They're at this last um, supper, as we call it, and Judas is dismissed, right? And all the disciples are sitting there and they're grubbing and they're eating, right? And it's going good. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Judas, go do what you got to do. And the whole group goes, oh, no, he didn't. I'm just kidding. That's the J-E-V, Jack Easterby version, not available in stores. But here's what happens. They send Judas out. Jesus knew where Judas was going. He was going to get soldiers. He was going to betray him. But it's very important that this didn't happen. Understand Easter and the passion narrative. Jesus is not the victim, my friends. Jesus is the triumphal uh, entry that we see is the same triumphal entry that repeats itself over and over. We just look at it different. The power of the intentionality. Jesus didn't just wake up and go, well, it's good that maybe I should do this. No, he knew he was sent to earth for this. And he said to Judas, go leave. So Judas goes and procures a brand of soldiers, right? So here come the soldiers. Oh, we, oh, 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 oh we're going to get Jesus. Hup, hup, hup. And, the, and they come out, right? And here come these soldiers. Now, I think it's very interesting. We have to read the text carefully because the Bible says that Jesus went to meet them. How many people giving their life for something would go meet them? Because his intentionality is that he is going to meet them. He is going to go and meet you. He is coming into your mess so you can get clean. He is going to let them announce their reason. But friends, he sent them to arrest him. This is not an accident. This is an oopsie. So Jesus comes and says, hey, who are you looking for? He's not scared. Understand, even in this human element, as he bows his knee and he sweats blood before this, he says out loud, what? Father, <laughs> If there's any other way, but not, if there's not, guess what? Your will be done. So he looks it right in the face and he says, who are you looking for? To the soldiers who came with Judas, who he sent. So let me just tell you, whatever your problem is in here today, whatever your big problem that you came in here on your shoulders with today, let me just see. Jesus looks at it right in the face, just like he did these soldiers. And he says, I'm here to meet you. And you are going to have to deal with me. He looks these soldiers right in the face and says, whom do you seek? Now, I love this question, right? Because Jesus knows the answer, right? I mean, this isn't like informative to Jesus, the son of God, is it? I mean, is this like, oh, I don't know, like who you're looking for? I mean, no, Jesus said to the ones that were praying, hey, get up. We're going to go and meet these soldiers. They're coming. My betrayer is at hand. He goes and he meets them. Understand, Jesus is inserting himself into the problem. He's not running from it. Go follow all the religious leaders all throughout, all, all throughout history, Muhammad, Buddha, you, you go follow. And you read about what happened when conflict happened. I want you to read about what happened when their, their inner circle came to him and said, hey, they're coming. They're coming to get you. I want you to read the detail of how they hid or they ran. I want you to read about how they made a lie up or they tried to deceive someone. Not our Jesus. He looked it right in the face. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? So my first challenge to you today is that whatever problem you're going through, whatever challenge you have in your life, Jesus' intentionality should be trusted because he didn't just wake up. He Listen to this. He was up while you were sleeping. So his intentionality is trustable. He looked it in the face and he said, bring it. I'm not flinching. He met them in the garden. Hey, who are you looking for? Now, look at this next part because this is pretty cool. You can also trust Jesus to be in control because his existence is above time and space. Look at verse 5. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed, was standing with them. Judas's lip is quivering at this point. Oh, 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 oh no, what did I do? He knows what he did. 
betrayed and was standing with them. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and they fell to the ground. So he asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. You can trust Jesus to be in control because of his intentionality. Secondly, you can trust Jesus to be in control because of his existence. This is one of very few times in the Bible where I call this Jesus' trash talk. Amen? I'm going to take a little bit of a fun stance here. Jesus doesn't do a lot of trash talking. Uh, he does every now and then to the Pharisees. He'll get into a your mama joke or two. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's your daddy usually because <laughs> he's talking about his daddy. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's another one you'll laugh at later. But here's the point. Jesus here does something very interesting. He says, who are you looking for? And their answer is Jesus of Nazareth. Because that's the, the name. Jesus being the name, the earthly name, and Nazareth being the hometown. And Jesus' response is to tie himself to a phrase that gives the existence of God above time and space. Listen to me, church. Do you know how many things that we let be in control of us that are not above time and space? Do you know how many things that we let control us that are, that are involved in, let's just say, the way people think of us? Our financial security? The ability to know what happens tomorrow? Do you know how many things we allow to control us that are dictated by time and space? that are dictated by economies and presidents and friends and neighbors and news shows. We allow those to govern our lives because we think that time and space is dictating us. But here's what Jesus does very intentionally. And he says, hey, listen, I'm above time and space. So he identifies his name. Listen to this. He goes, ego in me. The phrase I am. He says, I am. Because the name they give is Jesus of Nazareth, the hometown that has a start and finish in this name Jesus, that means Savior, where other people had this name. But he changes it. He says, Ego in me. I am. Because he wants them to know that I didn't start to be and I'm not going to finish to be. I'm above time and circumstance. And here's what's going on in this arrest right now. You want to date me? You want to put me into a zealot of a political riot? You want to make sure that I'm the victim? And here's what I'm going to tell you before you arrest me. I'm going to tell you I'm above all this. And so he says, ego in me. The same phrase, watch this, the same phrase that was given to Moses. Moses is looking, oh, what do I tell these Egyptians when I go in here and say, let my people go? What do I tell them? God says, I am who I am. I didn't start. I won't ever be finished. I'm not a dictator who has to win another election. I'm not somebody who has to get the People's Choice Award. I just simply am. I am who I am. And so he looks into the greatest problem that will ever be known to man and he says, I am. Meaning that his existence is above time and space. So if you're looking for something to trust today, I would say to you, church, if you're looking for something to put your hope in today, Maybe we don't put it in a score on Sunday or maybe we don't put it in a news show or maybe we don't put it in a 401k. Maybe we put it in something that is above time and space that says, ego me. And while I challenge you, I'm convicted deeply that so often I put my hope in time and circumstance. When Jesus is looking at me and he's saying, I am. You got a wayward son that's turned his back on the church? I am. You got a marriage that you're thinking about giving up on? I am. You got an addiction that you can't seem to kick? I am. You see, the, the words of Jesus to the officers are meant to say, hey, listen, I know you think you're in charge because you got a badge. Like, that's pretty good. Thanks for coming out. Like, nice lantern. <laughs> pretty good. I am the light. That's funny right there. That's funny. But the reality is, he just puts the name Ego in me. And the Bible has a really cool detail. It says they all fell to the ground. Can you imagine like what that would be like as a, as a, as a soldier? <laughs> like, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Ego in me. 
What's your, what's your confidence level like at that point? Like, Jesus of Nazareth, yeah. And Jesus is saying, this is just like the end of time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I'm in control. So my existence is above time and space. That's why you can trust me. Time and space, things are fickle. They're with you, win or tie. And then when it goes bad, it's not there. The money's not there. What people think of you is not there. And you're by yourself in a hotel room somewhere and you're going, what is life about? And I just pray you would hear the same thing he told those soldiers. I am. That's what it's about. So you can trust God because he is intentional. You can trust Jesus because he is above time and space. Thirdly, look at this. Watch Jesus as he responds and he actually surrenders. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. By the way, in the original text here, there's no he. The he is implied. Ego and me. That's, that's a, the phrase is ego and me. It's I am. Okay, so we're adding the he. I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men, listen to this, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those who you have lost, have given me. I have lost not one. Jesus, all in chapter 17, which is the Puritan. If you read any Puritan writings, you see that Puritans wrote a ton on John 17. It's a ton of action in John 17. Jesus is praying, he's thinking, he's talking. And John 18 sometimes gets skipped over, but John 18 right here, he says, the, the quote from John 17, of those you've given me, I've lost not one. But it's interesting to me that first you can trust Jesus, and we talked about this because of his intentionality. Secondly, you can trust Jesus because his existence is above time and space. But thirdly, you can trust Jesus because his surrender. We serve in a society of ego, don't we not? Let's just be real. I'll be real, you be you, amen? Edging God out. E-G-O. Beating our chest to look as clean as possible so others think we don't have any mess. If I can just get this figured out and make everybody think I'm good and I can get elected to the top of whatever I'm doing, then I'm going to be good. And the reality is that Jesus actually shows us here that the strength is in the surrender. And here's what separates Jesus from every religious leader in the all of mankind. You see, what all of the structures of every other faith comes down to is, hey, if you can get it figured out and earn it and do these seven things or these five things, and if you can come here every week and you can do this, this, and this, then we can work out a deal and I'll let you in heaven. But see, here's what separates the difference in our Jesus and everybody else. Here's what he says. Who are you looking for? That's me. And then he says, let them go. You see, the power that Jesus wants to be in control of your life is not based on him standing at the door and going, or him tweeting out, I'm in control. No, the, the power of Jesus, listen to me, church, is the fact that he says, let them go. I'll stay back. The power of Jesus is that when you realize you are a mess, and you realize that you have messed this up and this life and you've been addicted and you've ran and you've, 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 you're filled with flaws and you realize that? And you go to pay for those sins and you go to say, you know what, I screwed it up. I screwed my marriage up. I screwed my body up. I screwed my mind up. And you go to pay for your sins and you walk in the line to pay for them. Jesus gets in front and goes, I got it. That's what he does, you see? All the other religious history native, you can go through them from Muhammad, Muhammad to Buddha. They stand up when you stand in the line and go, what do you have to say for yourself? Not our Jesus. Put it on me. Put it on me. Imagine you were in line for, for, for the electric chair, for a death sentence. And you knew you had done what you were supposed to be uh, killed for. You knew you were guilty. You knew you had done it. What do you want for your last meal? You eat it. Good. Who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to my mom. I want to tell her I'm sorry. You call her. Hey, mom, I'm sorry. 
I'm guilty. They're going to take my life today. I'm so sorry, mom. And the phone hangs up and they knock on your door. It's time. You put on your clothes and you walk out. John Smith's in front of you and you watch John Smith die. Now it's your turn. For a crime you knew you committed. And as you go to step up, somebody says, hey, why don't you go spend some time with your mom? I'll stay back and die for you. Would you want to know their name? And Jesus says to the arresting soldiers, let these men go. I'll stay back because this is what I came for. You can trust Jesus because he's intentional. You can trust Jesus because his existence is upon time and space. And you can trust Jesus, listen to me, church, because his surrender is admirable and engaging. His surrender is powerful because his surrender is not a sign of weakness. It's not a white towel. It's a blood-stained cross. And so when you look at a cross, you understand the cross is the most bought piece of jewelry in history? Why? Because it's a sign of surrender, but not a weak one, a one that should gain control of your life. Let's look at this last part. Then Simon Peter, verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut his right ear off. I often laugh that, you know, the Bible, so many people, C.S. Lewis and these other authors write about eyewitnesses. Okay, here we're about to learn about an ear witness. <laughs> that is, that's funny, man. You don't have to laugh, but it's still funny. I won't be here next week anyway. <laughs> Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Little detail here. It's interesting. Peter, I relate to Peter, right? We all do, a lot of us. They get out in front. He wants to be out in front. He's a very loud apostle. I'll do it. I'll do it. No, I won't deny you. Yes, I will. No, I won't. He's that guy. And we relate to Peter because Peter is a fisherman, right? He's, he just went fishing. And he pulls out his sword. I mean, <laughs> I laugh. Peter with the sword is, is not a good thing. Peter with a fishing rod, we got a chance. But P Peter pulls out a sword and he cuts off the high priest's servant. It's an ear. And it's very interesting that John, I just love the Bible. It's a great book. You should try it. He lists this little small detail. If you're reading John's gospel very closely, and he says, and the servant's name was Malchus. You know what Malchus means? King. Because John, watch this, please church, hear me. Because John wants you to know there was one king on his knees while the other king was fixing him. You see, the other gospel writers tell us that when Peter cut his ear off, Jesus picked it up and he put it back on his ear. And he healed him. Because there might have been a guy who was in the high priest who beat his chest and said, look, I'm king. Or his parents might have named him as king. But my friends, there's only one king in the garden. And the king's name is Jesus. His name is Ego in me. I am. I tell people this sometimes, and I think this is a great way to illustrate what our faith should be. Can you imagine being Malchus, right? Like you, you leave, right? And you've got Jesus. And you go back to the inner chamber that night. Oh, we, oh, we got our guy. And all the, the egotistical soldiers are talking about it, right? We got our guy. We got Jesus. We did our job. And Malchus is going, And then he gets home that night, right? <laughs> and his grandmother's got a little cup of coffee. This is the JEV also available, not in stores right here. He's at dinner. His grandmother's got a cup of coffee. How was your day today, Malchus? <laughs> well, Grandma, <laughs> see what happened was we were in the Garden of Gethsemane going to get this man named Jesus. And we were all confident. And then he said, hey, they go with me. And we all hit the ground. And we thought something was up. My knees got weak, but my knees are strong. But my knees got weak. And I hit the ground, and then I got up. 
And as I got ready to put my hands on him, his, one of his guys, this guy named Cephas, Peter, he pulled a sword out and cut my ear off, and I was like, ah! <laughs> and then this guy named Jesus, when everybody else was fighting behind me, <laughs> he got up and picked my ear up and put it on my ear. Look! She looks at it, and she doesn't see a scar, not even any evidence. She says, good story. And then he goes to lay his head on the pillow. And he knows who the king was. He knows the king that he met in the garden. That this wasn't an oopsie. That he was above time and circumstance. That he's intentional. That he's in control. And that he is asking for you, Malchus, to know how great the I am really is. The close of this challenge leaves... With Jesus saying to Peter, put your sword away. Isn't that what we're all guilty of? Oh, oh, you know what? <laughs> Listen, I got some problems. Well, I'll just beat him with the sword. Like, I'll just, just, oh, you know, I'll do whatever I can do. I'll fix it. By, I'll, I'll cuss less. I'll give some to the church. I'll sit in the front. I'll raise my hands. And the swords of life come out. And we leave with the same problem. Wait a minute. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. Because you can't fix the problem that you are at the center of. Jesus is going to have to stay back and be arrested and crucified and risen to fix your problem. Jesus is the greatest champion, my friends. And he is the author of the whole story. And yet he pledges and trods and walks through each moment as if to show you I am worthy to be trusted. I'm worthy to be available to you as a control God overseeing all of your things. It's not, hey, I'll give my life to Jesus, but I'm holding back these three areas. No, I want to be in control. I want to rule your life. I don't want to be second. I've been challenging some friends of mine lately on our accountability thing that, you know, you know when you put Jesus first, that sounds good. But sometimes you get to number eight and you forgot what was first. So the best thing to do is put Jesus in the center. Put him in the center of your marriage. Put him in the center of your finances. Put him at the center of your friendships. Put him at the center of every word you say. Put him at the center of your worship. Put him at the center of how you drive, how you act, how you react, what you eat, what you think about, what you say. Put him at the center. Because when he died, he was in the center. I say this a lot, and I'll close with this. Jesus is the only perfect champion ever to walk the face of this earth. We, we, we have a society filled with champions, do we not? We've been blessed to be a champion. There's been other people that I'm close friends with that are champions of other sports. There's champions of business. There's champions, right? Champions. We've been blessed to see champions. But my friends, my prayer today is not that we would leave here thinking about a champion who will let you down or a champion who is in time and space or a champion who is not intentional or a champion who you fill in the blank. There's only one champion. And we'll leave you with Jesus as the greatest champion. And he's simply asking you, will you let me be in control? I wrote a poem a few years back and I always close with it. I'm going to read this and then I'll challenge you and we'll pray. Poem goes like this. The debate remains allowed to find from the crowd the greatest champion of all time. So let them line up all holding their cups, determined by their nickels and their dimes. You see, quickly we will see a glorified tree of athletes, politicians, and heroes. Many promote self and bank account wealth. It's a competition that revolves around zeros. But I dare to say the greatest champion of today is one who's been forgotten by most. He's valued to a few who sit in the pew. He was announced by the heavenly host. He was born in a stable to show that he's able to serve and lead at all cost. He seeks and he feeds the deepest of needs of anyone who confesses, I am lost. He fed, he healed, in Gethsemane he kneeled, watch this, to earn his ultimate crown. Accused by a crowd, 
blasphemy out loud. To a cross, they thought his kingdom would come down. For six hours, he hung. No national anthem was sung. No ESPN coverage was given to his game. You see, alone he competed until your sin he defeated. The king of Jews was what they called him by name. The champion was graved by one he had saved. Never to be heard from again. But after three days, the stone was away and the locker room, it was emptied with sin. The greatest champion, he rose and he preached love that flows to his disciples and any of us who will listen. He preached no banner or ring or perishable thing. He preached about home with streets that are going to glisten. The greatest champion, he's Jesus Christ. He paid full in price for all that call on his name. And the way that he walked, the way that he talked, he mastered this life and all of its silly games. So let's hear a cheer. The greatest champion, he's in here. He said he would never forsake. He has all the reasons, friends, he named every season. He's the greatest champion. Let us make no mistake. Is he your champion? Is, is he in control? Have you relegated him to a list of other people that may have control throughout the week? Or is he in control? Is he in control? Because there's nothing else qualified. There's nothing else qualified. All of it will break down at some point. You can trust Jesus to be in control because in the most pressure-filled moment of his own life, he showed you, here's my resume, ego in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for a special, special book called the Bible. It's the best thing ever happened to us because when we look at it, you come alive and you show us that you're still alive. Thank you that the garden <laughs> wasn't a mismatch. <laughs> Thank you that the garden wasn't a mismatch, Jesus. Thank you that you are so in control. Father, would you show up and show out in this place? Father, as we begin to worship, if, if there's someone that needs to take communion to get their heart right, if there's someone who needs to talk to someone to get their heart right, if there's someone who needs prayer, and I pray that would come forward, Lord, and just get prayed for. I pray that our worship would not have any side bets, that nothing else would be in control. And Father, I lay down everything in my life that I let have control that shouldn't have a license. We worship you now. We pray in spirit and in truth. My heart's cries, it is every time I do this, that my words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart have been pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer.